Hello, everybody. This is Drew Wilmisher, and you're listening to the Wilmisher Music Podcast. W-I-L-M-E-S-H-E-R-R. That's how you spell this awesome name, and you say it, Wilmisher. W-I-L-M-E-S-H-E-R-R. I'll sing some songs if you sing along while I play this here guitar. W-I-L-M-E-S-H-E-R-R That's how you spell this awesome name and you say it will mature. Hello again and welcome to another episode of the podcast. This week I'm joined by Ashton Delfino, a dynamic and adaptable professional drummer based in Nashville, Tennessee, a city near and dear to my heart. His style ranges from softer sonic palettes filled with texture to raging wide open drum tones that'll make you lose yourself in the music. He's been on tour this summer with country artist Lucas Hogue, opening for Justin Moore. You can find more on Ashton on Instagram at A-N-D- A-S-H-T-O-N, that's and Ashton, or you can find him at ashtondalfino.com, that's A-S-H-T-O-N-D-A-L-F-I-N-O.com. As always, don't forget to keep up with me at wilmisher.com or on social media at wilmisher or at wilmisher music for all live tour dates, new music, and even new podcast episodes. Something we did not get to in our conversation because it happened earlier this summer. Uh, Since I last spoke with Ashton, uh, he and his wife have run into some medical problems and they are working on taking care of some pretty hefty medical bills, which in this day and age at this time uh, is not the easiest thing to do, especially when your medical emergencies put you out of work. So there will be a GoFundMe page linked in the show notes as well as the charity of Ashton's choice. Uh, So be sure to to check out the show notes please give uh, to help support this guy um, as he and his wife try to figure out the next few months um, moving ahead uh, support your artists please because uh, art just does a great thing for society and making life uh, worth living just a little bit more um, even though it's not a necessity on a day-to-day basis when you need it the most uh, that's when you really miss it so be sure to check out the show notes and support Ashton uh, and his wife, I know that they will appreciate it. Now on to our conversation. Well, welcome, uh, Ashton Dalfino. Is that? Am I saying that correctly? Yeah, yeah, you got it. Awesome, awesome. With a name like Wilmisher, I'm sensitive to uh, pronouncing people's names the right way. <laughs> yeah, can, can I actually get that one more time? I'm sorry. Your name, your last name. Can I get that one more time? Sure. It's Wilmisher. Wilmisher. Okay. Uh, it looks more in, intimidating than it actually is, uh, which I feel like is also part of our family crest. Uh, we appear more intimidating than we actually are. This is a lot of fun. You are actually the first musician that I've gotten a chance to uh, to interview for this wow. podcast. Um, well, I'm a, I'm a drummer. I don't know if I'd call myself a musician, but <laughs> I well, I would. In fact, I was actually laughing about it yesterday. Uh, you emailed me to make sure that we were still on for today because I hadn't sent out the Zoom link yet. And then it, I chuckled to myself later. I was like, of course, the drummer would keep me on time. Um, <laughs> yeah, that is a fun musician joke. Um, probably more fun for me than anyone else. So sorry about that. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I mean, it's true. It's true. I, I find that musicians personalities and how they are with time management in their life shows up in their playing. It does. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause I mean, uh, I've always tried to tell people like the way that I make music is, is one of the ways that I communicate with the world. Like it's not just, uh, something that I do because I'm good at it, but it's something that I do because this is a way of storytelling for me. You know, the, the way I play guitar is part of the storytelling, um, much in the way that I feel like movie makers will pick the score very intentionally to help with the story. Um, and so when you meet musicians and you, you see how they play, uh, you can get a feel for also maybe how they are in the rest of their life. <laughs> <laughs> I completely agree. And that, that wasn't me saying, uh, I have great time because I'm on time. That's, that's more me saying like, I'm consistently like five to 10 minutes early to everything in my life. And yes. that shows up in my playing as anticipation. And I know guys that are always late to everything and they're like very relaxed and behind the view. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just funny, like how that, how that turns out. <laughs> totally. So that is funny. And that's a, that's a really funny observation that I don't think I'd ever thought of before. Um, yeah. But now I'm going to, I'm going to start asking people like, you know, if they're behind the beat, if they're lagging, I'm like, is everything okay? Are you, are you all right? <laughs> <laughs> use that as a moment for emotional check-in <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah uh so a couple days ago um yeah i got to interview a, a student of audiology up in washington dc and uh we got into a little conversation about um in-ear monitors and you know just yeah. like how important those and i i told her that um <laughs> for years i've worked with so many different bands and especially in churches where i've argued uh you know very hard for at least the drummer should have in-ear monitors because their their thing is just going to be the loudest um yeah. And, uh, and I thought, you know, I need to ask, you know, like what, <laughs> what I love about musicians in particular is you can always get in a conversation. If you start in, you can usually start in with gear, you know, you can start asking like, what are you playing? What are you using? Um, <laughs> <laughs> and you just came off the, the road for your home for a couple of days. Mm -hmm. Uh, you've been touring with, um, Lucas, how do you say that? Yeah, Lucas Hogue. Lucas Hogue and uh, Justin Moore. Yeah, yeah, we had the, the opening spot on uh, Justin Moore's current tour. That yeah. is so fun. That is so fun. So I am curious because uh, this is me. This, one of my quirks is I'm always shopping. Uh, what are you using for in-ears? You know, are you using in-ears? So total plug right now, uh, Tilt Audio. Um, it's... He's the guy's based in my hometown in Tampa. Well, he's near Tampa. Um, and they're fantastic. But, uh, his name's Darren and you can find him on Instagram. I think it's, his handle is just tilt audio, no underscore, nothing fancy. Um, and so my right ear canal is like weird, like the anatomy of it. So I'm not going to stick my finger in my ear, but like if you were to stick your finger in my ear and you would feel what the inside of my ear does when I move my jaw, okay, my ear canal wildly changes shape. So oh, okay. I've used other companies and I've always had like such a hard time getting the right ear to fit. Mm -hmm. And it's like the, the left ear is always perfect. And then the right ear, it's like I move my jaw a little bit and the bottom of it like kicks out like this. Oh and then gosh. all the symbols are coming in there and it's not good. Um, 
But Darren actually, he made like, I don't know, probably 10 shells and like shaved them down and like added material and like reshellacked until he got it perfect. And they're, they're absolutely perfect. So I, I can't say enough good things about that. That's awesome. That is amazing attention to detail. Yeah. Um, you initially, you said that it was uh, weird anatomically. For some reason, I thought, oh, no, he's got like suction cups all in his ear canal. He's got like <laughs> oc- octopus ear. Yeah, um, yeah. So no. It's, no, just the inside of my ear canal changes shape when I talk or sing. So well, I, I notice, especially with singers, too, when you see them getting the in-ear mold, you know. So for the non-musician listeners, like in-ear monitors are those fancy uh, earbuds that musicians will wear on stage so they can hear themselves. They don't have the floor wedge speaker blasting in their face. Um, but you want a really tight seal. You want it to be like almost uh, airtight, you know, ship shape. <laughs> and so singers in particular, you'll see them with like a wedge of foam or something in their mouth with just sitting there slack jawed, ah, so that it stays in the same, their ear canal stays in the same shape. Um, exactly. And so having someone that pays that much attention is really cool. And to be in your hometown of Tampa, you know, like support local business. That's really awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And as a, as a singing drummer, it's maybe twice as important because the second you lose the seal and all that drum and cymbal noise starts coming into your ears, it's, yes. it's a nightmare. Oh, I can, I can only imagine what's been like the worst experience as a singing drummer. Like you're on, like, what, what have you, what was something you had to recover from? And you're like, I don't know if it's going to be, I don't know if I'm going to make it. (laughs) Actually our first gig on this tour that we just, uh, that we just did, we were sound checking and we started in our opening tune is like, it's got a ton of harmony in it and it's, um, in a minor key. So like right out of the gate, if your monitor situation, like if your mix isn't perfect, it's just, it's a total nightmare. So we start in at sound check and we're in like, we're in an arena. There's nobody there because it's sound check, but still it's like, it was my first arena gigs. Um, and we start singing and I cannot hear myself and I'm just like getting blasted in my ears with all the wrong things. So I'm singing and I know horribly out of tune. And again, we're in like a minor key singing three part harmony. And so we stop and I, you know, ask for the changes that I need and I get my monitor adjusted and everything. And then it's fine. But just having that experience walking out for that first sound check and doing that, I like, I went backstage and I was like, Oh my God, like, what did I get myself into? Um, and everything was fine, but just, you know, something like that. So it was a seed of doubt inside your head oh at, a, at a horrible time. So yeah, <laughs> well, then, Every, everything was fine. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. That moment of anxiety spiking and you don't, you're not sure if you're going to have enough time to fix it. <laughs> oh man. And I always feel like everything moves uh, like time moves way too fast and everyone else around me starts moving way too slow in those moments when I'm getting really anxious right before, before a performance. <laughs> yeah. 100%. <laughs> it is. It's why I'm always grateful, uh, especially when I've got a bar show or something where I can just be like, can you, can you pour me a shot of something? Just a little, <laughs> I need some help. <laughs> yeah, relax a little bit. And really, I mean, I haven't felt nerves for any kind of performance in maybe like 12 years. Yeah. So then to have that happen and have all that like flooding back was like, oh my gosh. But 
Oh no. Yeah. Can certainly help. <laughs> just enough to slow the heartbeat down. Yeah, yeah just to you out a little bit. <laughs> playing you've you haven't had you know a pre-performance panic attack in 12 years uh how long have you been playing uh i've been playing since i was like 12 ish 11 okay. or 12, like middle school age nice um but i i don't know i feel like i kind of hit a wall sometime in high school where i like stopped practicing and i wasn't really getting better and then i basically didn't play, you know, except for a couple times a year, but there was no practice. I didn't play for basically maybe like six years or something like that. Okay. Yeah. So there was a, there was a sizable gap. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I had a regular job and, and wasn't pursuing music or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, what did, what were you doing? What was your job? <laughs> so I got a job working for the electric utility in Tampa. So okay. it would like um it would be like a like a Duke Energy, you know, would be a big company that everybody knows. So it's just a it was a, a smaller company like that. Um so I worked at the power plant for a while, um, just as like a, a helper type person, but I started, you know, learning welding and pipe fitting and all this different stuff. Um, went into the electrical program. And then I moved out to a different department where for several years I was uh, turning people's power off when they didn't pay their bill. Mm. So like climbing through the backyards and fighting the dogs and running from the dogs and yes, lots of fun stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, There's a new show, I think, coming out soon um, with Craig Robinson, uh, yeah. where, where he winds up in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, sort of like something happens at the beginning of the show where he has to just start his life over and he becomes like a pest control person, uh, you know, in Florida, you know, and so I can only imagine, uh, you know, that you've got some pretty great stories from, you know, having to (laughs) climb some fences and (laughs) yeah, yeah. Several that I, that I probably can't tell, uh, (laughs) I should, I should ask you because I can, I can tend to be foul mouthed. Should I not curse or anything? I'm fine with it. Uh, uh, you know, I, if it happens, I've just, I'll just try not to, I just (laughs) let people know ahead of time, but it's not a big deal. (laughs) So I'm curious, what got you started playing initially, you know, in those middle school years? And then how how did you get back into it after spending some time, uh, in the electrical field? Yeah. So (laughs) I'm sure my first like my actual first, like, Oh wow, I want to play drums one day. I I don't think I can recall that. Um, I do recall at the church I grew up at, there was a guy who played and like went and toured, you know, with bands and stuff. And he was obviously quite a bit older than me and like had tattoos and stuff and had the whole look going on. I like saw him play and I remember being like, Whoa, like I would love to do that one day. Um, so then eventually I did start playing in like middle school band and, and stuff like that. Obviously nothing like what I envisioned as a child, what, yeah. <laughs> what it would be like. Um, 
how I got back into it. At some point, I didn't think of it as a career move. I think when I started back, it was more of like a self-improvement thing. Okay. Like, man, I always played drums and I was always, you know, decent. Like, I always had something in my playing. Even before I had any, like, sort of facility on the instrument, there was something in my playing that, like, people gravitated to. And I still don't really know what that is. But it was, it <laughs> was, all, it was always something that happened. Um, so I think I just finally was like, I hit this point where I was like, man, people like when I play, they like what I play. Maybe I should pour some resources into this. And I like playing. So, I mean, it's a big, it's a great creative outlet for me. Um, so I started taking lessons with a guy named Jonathan Thomas, um, who's been involved in several projects. He was involved in a, like Christian, I don't even know how to, how to, describe them like a Christian indie worship band okay. called Ascendant Hill. Um, okay. Yeah, you you probably heard of them. Um and anyway, like his his playing and his approach to the instrument was always just like baffling to me and the stuff he would come up with. Um and then he also played in a indie rock band called Civilian, which same thing. I always like love those songs and they really spoke to me and the playing on it was awesome. Um, and like, I think I went to see them in Tampa cause they were, they were from there at one point. Um, and I like, I went to the show and I was like, I was like, I think somebody told me this guy teaches lessons at some point. Um, and so I can't remember if I just like emailed him or I like Google searched like Jonathan Thomas drum lessons, but I ended up taking lessons with the guy. Um, and he's still, he's been an awesome friend and like a huge influence and probably the only reason I'm doing this professionally, not just because of taking lessons, but because of opportunities he put me up for down the line. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's a tremendous uh, person to know, but also a really great way to get back into it. I feel like, um, because it re it sounds like it was really, you know, born out of a very internal need, you know, like the, yeah playing drums felt like it was a part of who you were as a person. Absolutely. And I think it's probably one of the only things I could do at a very high level because it takes so much. Like you get into music if you're, if you're new or if you're super young, like I don't think people understand how much you sacrifice on like, obviously like a finance and stability level, um, but also yeah. just like a, a relational level, like with, um, you know, if you have a, a spouse or some, a partner, parents, friends, like all of it, like you, you're going to sacrifice a ton. Um, and now I lost where I was going with that thought. <laughs> no, I, I understand you. Um, it's something you were able to do, uh, you know, at a very high proficiency. Like you're very, you're very talented, very skilled. Yes. And, and I think if it wasn't such a passion, it, the reason it's one of the few things it's, it's such a passion. And if it wasn't a passion, the sacrifice wouldn't be worth it. You, you'd quit immediately, you know? Right. Uh, right. <laughs> I, I, so I like to tell people that, uh, I was in college longer than dubstep was a thing. College for eight years, and a large part of that was uh, a lack of maturity, but also a severe uh, case of FOMO. You know, there, I always felt like there was something else going on. 
um, that I was missing out on. So I was always looking for the other things going on instead of the things I should have been focused on. Um, and I remember like, you know, walking through early on as like a music major and then a music business major, uh, seeing all the folks in the practice rooms, you know, like till two, three in the morning, um, just working out their instrument, you know, going through drills, practicing for their next, uh, you know, recital or their, their jury, you know, that was coming up where they were, they knew they were going to be judged on their playing. Um, and I thought, <laughs> you know, years later, I was like, man, that kind of focus, like how many hours did they clock in so early on? Um, because they were so focused. And a few weeks ago, I, the audiologist I was interviewing said that she finished her undergrad uh, in a year because she was so focused and wow. just overloaded her schedule. Um, and I do, I, I, I mean, I, I know what you mean. You are not just committing to the practice time, but you are committing um, to saying no to other things as well. Um, you're saying, I, this has my time. This has my, my attention and my energy. Absolutely. And I, if you're anything like me, I'm wildly extroverted. So for yes. me, to say, for, yeah, the people. So, yeah, yeah. So to say no, people are like, oh man, come hang out for you to be like, nah, I'm going to sit here and, and practice or do this other thing, work on schoolwork. Like that's mind blowing. <laughs> right. <laughs> how did you say no? <laughs> you turned down how many things? Yes. Um, I was, I've been listening a lot to uh, Conan O'Brien needs a friend mm -hmm. and every time he uh, interviews a musician, he always talks about when he learned to play guitar uh, was real early on in his career, you know, late teens, early twenties. And he's like, if I feel like I understood why so many people learn an instrument when they're young, you know, when they're children or when they're still in school, um, it's because you don't have a whole lot else going on yet. <laughs> Yes. So you've got the time. <laughs> so true. Yeah, you can't drive. Like, right. <laughs> I, think, I think once I hit the point where I could drive, all my practice time went out the window. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could practice, or now I've got options. Yep. <laughs> So what does uh, what does your practice schedule look like now? Like, how do you balance, uh, you know, working stuff out, but also being on tour? Do you feel like um, that kind of feeds off of each other? No. So I think traveling, playing gigs is like the worst thing you can do for your musicianship because you're not, <laughs> you're certainly not, you're just working on a different skill set. You're becoming a better performer. You're building up your performance chops and your entertainment chops instead of your musical chops, you know, like that, that kind of already has to be in place to the point where you're not going to all of a sudden lose it as long as you're playing with any sort of regularity. Um, but we, so we moved to Nashville, my wife and I in August. So we've been here eight or nine months. Um, before that I was practicing like a madman, like one or two hours every day for years. Um, but since we moved here, we moved into a condo and we're on the second floor. Okay. So the most I can do is play on a practice pad, um, which I don't like to do a lot of. I don't, I've never reaped any real like fantastic benefits from it. Um, and I get crazy golfers elbow, like tendonitis. So if I play on a pad a lot, I just, oh, yeah. I feel like it, it makes that worse. Um, 
that said, every show I've been on since we moved to Nashville, I have prepped on a practice pad. So I've shown up to either the gig or to the first rehearsal, having never played this stuff on a drum set. Oh, wow. And it hasn't crashed and burned yet, which is crazy. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's the, awesome. Yeah. One, one of the first gigs I got on when I moved here was a, um, like real, not like downtown stuff, like real, like a show. Uh, it was a Christmas show and I didn't know it. Um, and so there was like four or five songs where I needed to play brushes and, uh, and I don't play, I didn't even own brushes. So I took this gig. Nobody told me it was a Christmas show. <laughs> I get sent all the music and I'm like, Oh my God. And I like, I jumped in the car and I like sped down the road and I drove to forks and I bought brushes and I got back here and I called my friend and I'm like, Hey man, I have this gig in a week and a half and I have to play brushes on stage and like, it has to be good and help. And <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it, it ended up going great. So that's awesome. I think, well, I think that too speaks to, uh, there is a, there's a, a cross section, I think of talent and, uh, practice, like, well, you know, commitment. So, you know, the fact that you've put in so many hours so far, but also that you are so talented at the same time, you know, is, is very helpful as well. Um, you know, like you, you've worked very hard to maintain something that you are very good at. And, uh, but to move from, you know, something like sticks to brushes, uh, I can only just imagine, uh, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty crazy. Well, that's uh, that is that's too funny. Uh, I remember spending a lot of time at Forks when I was in college. I went to Middle Tennessee State, oh, uh, awesome. just down the road in Murfreesboro, yeah. and uh, so I worked a lot with you know very volunteer musicians, and so I always felt like I needed to provide as much information as possible. <laughs> you know, like they to not tell someone that it's a Christmas show just blows my mind because I feel like that's actually that that's key information. <laughs> I think it was, I think it was like the guy that put me up for the gig thought the artist was going to tell me and the oh. artist, thought the guy that put me up for the gig was going to tell me. And it just like, it got crossed because his regular music was like country pop stuff. So I got all the country pop stuff and I'm like, okay, yeah, like no, no worries. I, I can learn this in a day. Right. And then it's 20 Christmas tunes. And then it's like all this, you know, um, you know, not real like straight ahead jazz, but like swings, like big band kind of swing stuff. And, um, Jazz-esque there's just like a lot of figures with specific hits that need to be, they got to be there, you know? Yeah. Um, so anyway, like I said, it was fine, but yeah, it was a, it was a moment of panic for me. <laughs> that, that's too funny. I can't, I can't imagine though that they were like, you didn't tell him. I thought you told him. No, I didn't. tell. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if we ever talked about it because I didn't want anybody to seem like I didn't want to send a text or an email or a call and be like, Hey, it's Christmas music. And then you're like, Oh, can this guy pull it off? Like I wasn't going to do that. So yeah. <laughs> I, I showed up and I didn't say anything. And I just, we went through the tunes and it was fine. <laughs> now that, that is a pro move, uh, just to, <laughs> to make it work and not tell anyone. <laughs> I try, I honestly, I, uh, I try to keep my mouth shut. With yeah. a lot of <laughs> and like, and I always, you know, with most artists I work with, I, I will have ideas. I feel like I'm very good at seeing like, um, 
organizational issues, mm-hmm. like even inside like how a, a band or a, you know, like a small entertainment group or something like that works. And I can see, okay, this piece needs to move here and this piece needs to move here so we can optimize everything. Mm-hmm. But most of the time I don't say anything because I want to, I don't want to be the guy, you know, I'm just there to hit stuff. That's you you, you want to keep working. <laughs> yeah. I'd rather just not piss anybody off. <laughs> well, hopefully you will attain, you know, a certain level where, you know, you can start chiming in and people will say, well, yeah, of course we, you know, Ashton, we got to listen to him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Which may be a terrible idea in the first place. <laughs> um, it, that's what comes to mind. I, uh, I follow Aaron Sterling. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, you know, he makes me laugh. I saw a post of his a few months ago where he was saying, you know, I just got this, uh, this message from another drummer, he, total pro move. Let me, let me tell you what he did. And it, he showed the email and it was like the first, uh, you know, it was three different takes of the same song. And he said, all right, you know, I think I've got it on the first take, but I went ahead and sent you the other three just in case. And he was like, that's so pro because it says I did what you asked is, you know, with three takes, but I'm also so good that I got it on the first try. So you don't even need the other two. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And uh, then a few months later, I was working with another drummer up there in Nashville. Uh, His name's Daniel Sauls. And he plays okay. with uh, Lauren Daigle, and he does a lot of um, yeah. very cool stuff with Ableton. Um, he, I've seen him drum while operating an Ableton push and doing like live remixes of classic hip hop. <laughs> and yeah. uh, so I asked him, I was like, would you mind doing, uh, you know, a song for me? You know, I need drums and percussion. And he did the same thing. He sent me, you know, a couple takes. He's like, I think I got it um, on the first try, but here are a couple more. And I was like, did you follow Aaron Sterling too? <laughs> <laughs> he's the greatest. I mean. <laughs> oh, he's so good. I I didn't know about him until I bought his uh, drum pack, his sample pack from uh, IWantThatSound.com. And, uh, but now I'm just thinking, you know, like that's very much a mentality, you know, you show up to work, you be as professional as possible and you're, you know, everyone just starts to think of you in terms of reliability. They just know, oh, you ask Ashton, it's going to happen. You know, it's going to get done. Um, and that is, I think that is the key. That is the key difference between, um, you know, playing music and I think making music. Um, you know, you, you are making music happen, um, versus I get on the acoustics some, some afternoons and I just want to noodle around on some Bob Dylan. I'm not a Bob Dylan cover artist. I'm not, you know, a tribute band or anything. So that's not going anywhere, <laughs> but it's a, you know, I can relax versus a time when I have to go, all right, what, what are we playing? Do I know it inside and out? <laughs> can I, can I make these chord changes? Absolutely. As many as possible. Yeah. And that that's, you know, there's definitely something to be said that like once you make music your livelihood, like once you make making music your livelihood, man, it it changes everything. Um and it you can definitely get burnt out because you you don't get that outlet like, oh, I can just play and like there's no pressure if I, you know, mess something up, which is which that's kind of how I treat downtown gigs here in Florida, it was a lot better. Um, 
but I, I don't know. It, <laughs> yeah, it's nice to have both. It's nice to have that, that outlet still, and you can definitely lose that when you're a full-time player, at least. It, yeah, I mean, you when you attach a livelihood to something, um, it puts a certain amount of pressure on it that you, I think you said it earlier, like it really does have to be a passion. It has to be something that you, you loved, not just love doing, but that you need to do. Yeah. I, I can't remember. I feel like it was probably like a, like a gym or fitness person or somebody, but somebody was like referring to their passions and like the thing that they're doing every day and putting all this energy to. And it's like, they were like, if you found out you were going to be dead in a year, a year from today, you were going to be dead. You're going to drop dead. Would you still do it? Mm -hmm. And it's like, man, that's a great check to decide like what's worth it and what's not worth it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Uh, I've, I've read so many books on like the keys to keeping good habits and making good habits. Um, and I think it was in James Clear's Atomic Habits. Uh, he talks about someone who, um, you know, maybe you've heard the story before someone gets a bad diagnosis at the doctor's office and it's terminal, you know, they've only got four or five months to live. So the next day they quit their job and they start digging into their life savings to go do the things that they love to do. Mm -hmm. um, and then as they're doing the things they love to do, surprise, surprise, <laughs> the diagnosis turns around and, you know, it just doesn't happen all the time. Obviously that's yeah. not, a, but you know, their life, their life improves. And so their health improves at the same time. Right. Um, and then, and now they're doing what they love to do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But there's certainly something to be said for that in the way we live our lives as Americans and like the grind and the hustle and, you know, never stop, never rest. Right. <laughs> probably, probably not great for us. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely a balance. Um, I, you know, it's why I think there's also other books that still remain popular 10 years later, like the four hour work week. Mm -hmm. You know, like people want to figure out how do I, how do I live without working all the time? Yeah. <laughs> and, and it is, it's, it is hard. Um, I was just having this conversation not too long ago with someone about like, you know, capitalism is the ocean we swim in. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's, it may not be, it may not be perfect, but it's, it's what we've got. Um, and what I've tried to tell my students uh, as I work with college students, um, that capitalism is something you're allowed to that you can play you can play the game of capitalism but you're not required to win the game of capitalism right you, know, you don't have to have the most <laughs> of yeah. everything it's, it's um, not monopoly exactly <laughs> and uh <laughs> it's <laughs> the game where everyone hates each other at the end exactly. <laughs> um and it and i just hope that you know what they take away from that is this idea that um the things you do to, to earn a living, um, don't necessarily have to define your whole life, but if there is a way <laughs> that you can earn a living doing the things that define who you are, that's, that's even better. Yeah. You know? It, yeah. And, and balance, you're certainly right. I think I'm maybe just getting to the point where, and this has been through a lot of therapy and a lot of talks with my wife, which she's, going on her way to being a therapist. She's uh, finishing up her master's at Vanderbilt right now. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. She's a Peabody. She's ridiculously brilliant. And I'm like, I hit things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's rough. Um, 
I'm just getting to the point where I feel like if all of a sudden I could know I couldn't play drums again, like I had some sort of illness or something that that just affected that ability, I think it would be all right. And that is a huge place to be. And that might not be true. Like if that happened, I would certainly be devastated. Maybe I wouldn't be okay. Uh, maybe I would spiral downwards. But I, I feel like, at least compared to a year ago, I feel much more in that place than I did. That's tremendous. I Yeah, I have had so many conversations about, you know, personal identity, who are you as a person, and uh, trying to figure out ways to uh, articulate an identity mm. that can't easily be changed, you know, so um, rather than saying I'm an athlete, you know, or that I'm a runner, you know, if, if I'm ever in an accident where I can't walk, you know, that identity goes away. But if I say I'm a tough minded individual, who's not afraid of challenges, then I can be in that accident and it hasn't changed who I am on a personal level. Absolutely. Um, and that is so, I feel like that is such a hard place to get to because there, it is that kind of self reflection and introspection, uh, can be really scary. <laughs> I mean, I've gone through a lot of therapy as well in the past few months and, uh, it is not, I don't always leave feeling better. No, <laughs> but I do leave feeling like I did something important. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's tremendous. And, you know, to, we've talked a lot about, you know, playing as to your passions, but also the idea that sometimes things are just a job. <laughs> One of the things that we've discussed in therapy is this idea that the idea, if you find, if you do what you love for a living, you'll never work a day in your life is kind of bull crap. Um, yeah. because, because everything has an element of work to it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and especially in, in music, I've found uh, that like, Playing live is maybe 8% of my job um, and 92% of my job is an effort to get to that 8%. Yeah. You know, and, and make that 8% an enjoyable experience. Um, but yeah. mostly it's a lot of administration. It's a lot of building email lists and uh, trying to figure out, all right, do I order more you know, pins that people put in their hats or do I order more stickers? <laughs> Do I, uh, am I financing this with a GoFundMe page or am I going to just use my credit card? What's, <laughs> what's the next project? What right. am I working on? Uh, you're absolutely right. I, when people approach it that way of you'll, you'll never work a day in your life. It's like, man, I, I, when I hear that, I just think, Maybe if you were working, like you would be farther along. Not that that's necessarily better, but like, what could you do? Yeah. Because I think a lot of, I don't know if this is coming out on video, but I think a lot of creatives are kind of like standing there, like doing this. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like I'm sprinting past several of them, like screaming my head off, running in one direction for, for years. Yes. <laughs> then, Absolutely. I have friends that are like, but, but my art, how will people see my art? <laughs> yes. Oh, absolutely. And, and like, man, it's not just the art, like it's marketing, it's sales, it's all the, it's business, it's all these other things. And if you don't want it to be that thing, that's fine. 
but don't don't then subsequently complain that people aren't hearing your music or your art isn't appreciated if you're not doing you know like you said like the eight percent is the art and then the other 92 percent is all this stuff that you have to do to get the art into people's brains yep <laughs> oh, sorry that was that was a tangent i'm not no, upset buddy. <laughs> <laughs> not at all not at all that is i i hope that people hear that you know as this as permission giving that you are allowed to be creative and uh and not worry about the business but also just know that the consequence of that is that it's going to be for you and i think some of the best art is the stuff that doesn't get pushed out to the masses you know <laughs> you're oh man you're so right I, I was listening to a couple of like my favorite bands the other day and it's stuff and i'm like how does this not have a million streams on spotify right <laughs> you know, like and i'm just completely blown away like this is such a beautiful piece of art and nobody knows it exists right <laughs> But, you know, pe people appreciate different things. And I love pop music. I absolutely love so many pop artists. So I get it. Like, it's it's two different things. But but it can be, it can be frustrating. <laughs> and is it just me or is there a pendulum swing in pop music where, you know, I, I think historically, 50s, 60s, 70s, you had a lot of very, the, mu the music industry was very Wild West. Um, very small record labels, uh, very small house um, kind of projects coming together. Um, and then in the 80s, the uh, Wall Street sort of got involved and said, okay, how do we make this bankable? And everything got big. Everything got, it got a lot glossier in the 80s to my oh. ears. Um, but it was, it was also that overlap period of the 70s singer songwriter uh, and the the pop production element, you know, we're really working to get together, which is why so many great songs came out of the 80s. Um, but then, you know, there was a response to sort of the glossiness with the grunge movement. Um, and now and then the late 90s, early 2000s, there was sort of that Swedish pop movement um, of stuff coming out of Sweden, you know, like all the songs the Backstreet Boys and Britney Spears were singing, you know, like the lyrics didn't make sense, but they were pop. It was fun. The melodies were dynamite, <laughs> you know. And so I feel like now we're on another back end swing um, where things are, you know, there's a response to sort of the I think about Billie Eilish and Phineas, you know, coming up with stuff. Um, the story, of course, being, you know, came up with the stuff in their bedroom, um, but it's not as like spit and polished. Right. You know, and there's like a just just a little bit of dirt on it. Um, yeah. Which I really enjoy. And it does. It feels like we're in sort of a more organic pop era. <laughs> yeah, which is nice. And I, I think in the last, you know, 15 years with, I mean, there's so many, so much about our technology and our culture is changing so rapidly now, but in the past like 15 years with social media becoming so popular, everybody is just more aware of everybody's pain collectively and the people around them that I think the, the fake glossed over everything's just happy and, and fun and all that. I think it, it kind of, cause that to crumble in a way. Not that that kind of music isn't still awesome because nobody wants to live in one mood forever. 
Right. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 when people get upset about certain songs and like, oh, how could somebody write this? I'm like, no, they were just feeling that way at this one singular moment in time. Yeah. And then they got it out and then they moved on to something else. And then you're seeing that collective, like, um, but I think because that crumbled along with social media and everybody being aware to like how much everybody's hurting, like how many people need help, like not just financially in our country, but like emotionally and, and, um, you know, just in, in a lot of different ways, how can we still just have that, that gloss over shellacked poppies? Like there, yes, we can have fun melodies. Like, yes, we can have, a super solid up-tempo beat but now the the direction of where we can go with the mood of that song emotionally has has broadened and it can still have appeal to everybody so i i I honestly think we're living in a really cool time for pop music and i know that's maybe not popular with music (laughs) fans but (laughs) no i i do i'm i'm also a fan i i've loved that um the last couple albums that Taylor Swift has put out that weren't, I love the re-recordings. I think that was brilliant. Um, mm-hmm. I love the the newer stuff that she's put out, like uh, folklore, um, you know, things like that. There's just, I think that's a good indicator of what you're talking about. Like there is a, an emotional intelligence quotient that has increased in the last 15 years yeah. um, that is really being reflected in the art uh, you know, which is which is awesome. That's what you want art to do is to reflect the world around you so that you can see it better. And if we're all more in tune with each other, then yeah. the art, you know, is going to reflect that as well, which is a great way to experience what other people are going through as well. Right. You know, uh, I feel that way strongly about which full disclosure, this is my dream gig is to play for Miley Cyrus. Um but her Plastic Hearts record, it's like a rock record. It's very, very edgy. Um, it's just fantastic. But also there's like a lyrical depth to it um, that I think is really not what you would have expected from her 10 years ago, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> very cool. That is. That's awesome. Okay. Well, should this ever find its way in front of Miley Cyrus? Uh, there it is. That's the bid. Ashton Delfino. She has her band. Oh, I know. (laughs) Uh, Well, we've come to a part of the podcast that I am uh, currently calling the cool down round. Um, this is, this is just sort of the recurring questions that I ask everybody. Uh, so what's a, what's a sense memory that you have from childhood that still brings you back, um, whenever you experience it today? Something, this is maybe not what you're looking for, uh, but something that is continually resurfaced and, well, I'll just tell you what it is and then I'll explain it. All right. So when I went to start playing drums in middle school band, um, they were like, can't remember what they said. They was like, obviously you're in middle school. So like tons of people want to play drums. Um, and they were like, we're going to take the, the five people with the most aptitude. And so they had however many people audition or whatever. And I was in that pool. Um, and I did not make it as one of those top five with the most aptitude. Um, and I think about that 
I've thought about it fairly often since I started playing professionally. And it's like, I, I, I agree with that situation. I think probably in that group, I wasn't one of the five with the most aptitude. Um, but certainly, I think hard work outworks talent and outshines talent. Um, and I think on, on top of that, while I may be a fantastic player, I think that says so much about me as a person. Um, and as far as relationships, friends, business, meet, just meeting people in general, I think I'm very good with people. Um, and that kind of further insulates me from a drummer is who Ashton is like, no, Ashton is a good person. That's also a great player. And that's why he works. Um, so I've just been like, that memory has been running through my head quite a bit lately. And when it's like, you know, there's going to be haters and that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I certainly probably still have some haters, like whatever. Um, yeah. Does that, does that, answer it is that an appropriate memory <laughs> well absolutely i think that's uh because that feels like one of those sort of core memory turning points you know where you had two roads you know you could have chosen from and said all right well if i'm not the best then i, I quit <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> and you did not you know you said all right i'm not the best today but let's try it tomorrow um cool. that's awesome um it's funny because <laughs> I was trying to think of something, one that I could prepare for this. There is, so I, I think predominantly a lot of my childhood memories are tied to smells. Oh, wow. And when I was in middle school, um, I played football. I played rec league football in Pennsylvania. And uh, we had these, the practice jerseys, like the mesh jerseys. Uh, they yeah. were different, you know blue and yellow um and so we would face off you know for scrimmage at the end of practice every night and we'd have to put on these jerseys or like all right you're on the blue team you're on the yellow team and i don't think that those jerseys had been washed ever <laughs> probably not ever i think they were you know 25 years old and the last time that they had ever been clean was when they came off the shelf um so it was that it's that sort of sporty mildewy kind mm -hmm. of smell you know, mixed in with like fresh cut grass in the fall. Wow. And it just yeah. takes you back. And, and every time I smell that now, like if, uh, you know, something gets left outside in our backyard for maybe just a little too long in the rain, you know, I get into my hammock and I'm like, oh, we need to Febreze this. I'm like, oh yeah. And I also need to work on my three point stance. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I hear, I obviously know it's a thing, but I hear a lot of people say that like certain smells take them back and I don't, think I hardly ever experienced that. Really? Oh, it's interesting to hear about like what, what specific smells take people back. Yeah. I well, the, you know, you mentioned uh, being from Florida. I spent a good amount of my childhood in Panama City on the panhandle. So, you know, basically oh. lower Alabama. Um, <laughs> and whenever we go back with uh, my wife and my kid and we get to a certain point in the trip where you can start smelling like the bay and some of the swamp and then it starts getting saltier and there's more of a fishy smell you know i'm like oh yeah. my gosh i'm eight years old and everything's perfect again <laughs> <laughs> um i feel like tampa was a little more developed than that i feel i feel like tampa did not have some of the same smells <laughs> Tampa's huge now like it's it's really blown up 
we have a friend of ours from college who lives down there now and we'll see updates there about they're expecting their first child and she works at a museum down there and it looks like paradise <laughs> it's, it's pretty awesome like having been here eight or nine months now i'm like okay now i see why people vacation down there like yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's not the same nashville yeah. is not the same so different well tell me uh what have you got going on what are you what are you looking forward to that you're working on um so i have quite a few more dates uh with lucas this month um which i'm excited about but i do get like a, a week and a half of rest uh not rest but being off the road which is great yes um, <laughs> stationary <laughs> yeah uh i have a session on sunday which should be a blast i don't know how much i can say about it so i'll leave it at that okay um uh, one of the artists, the other artists that I play with, um, Sarah Faith, she's, she's like a lot newer on the scene for sure. Um, but we're starting to play more gigs. We have some dates coming up in July. Um, so I'm very excited about, about those. Um, she's an incredible songwriter. That's awesome. And, yeah. and you said her name is Sarah Faith. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Uh, I will look for her. This uh, one of the things that uh, Wilmisher is all about is uh, sort of the mission statement is that when people experience Wilmisher, uh, that they feel uh, loved and encouraged. And part of doing that, I think, uh, is supporting charities and supporting good causes. So what is something uh, that you enjoy? What's a, what's a charity that um, you think is doing some really good work out there? So me and my wife are very big proponents of mental health and therapy. Um, like I said, she, she's actually going into that field. Yes. Um, so that's really big for us um, year round, being that it's Pride Month, uh, the Trevor Project, kind of the intersection of mental health and helping um, LGBTQ youths, um, you know, seek and have the health um you know have programs and have help available to them um so that that would be uh that would be my pick all right so uh wilmisher will make a donation to the trevor project and we will put a link in the show notes so other people can do the same that's awesome that's so cool that you're doing that well, like I said, I, you know, one of the things that I have to be able to do at the end of the day is uh, look at myself in the mirror and go to bed knowing that I'm not a charlatan. And, uh, you know, if I say that I want people to to feel loved and appreciated by Wilmisher, uh, you know, I really want to put some some boots on the ground to make that happen. Um, Absolutely. So that's just that you. That's just <laughs> in, your, in your personality and your what you're doing. So, oh, well, thank you so much. <laughs> Uh, Ashton, this has been an awesome conversation. Conversation. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Thanks for having me. This has been awesome. Thanks for listening to today's episode and my conversation with Ashton Delfino, a great drummer and a great guy from Nashville, Tennessee. Don't forget to check out the Trevor Project as well as Ashton and his wife's GoFundMe page as they need help with their medical bills. 
Links are in the show notes. And speaking of show notes, if you liked today's episode, please leave a rating. Let me know what you liked and be sure to tell your friends and tell your enemies. Tell total strangers. Heck, even tell your pets about the Wilmershire Music Podcast. The more people know, the more change we can make in the world. Y'all have a great week and I'll see you next time.